Napoleon Bonaparte said that an army marches on its stomach. Now Napoleon was speaking of the army's need for supplies. And Napoleon learned this lesson the hard way as he and his Grand Armée were defeated in Russia in the War of 1812, largely due to the lack of supplies and the hostile Russian winter. And it was estimated that of the, of the around 600,000 men who entered Russia, less than 100,000 remained. Now, warfare has advanced significantly in the last 200 years. No longer do infantry march into battle in formation. No longer do, do cavalry charge in on horseback. The cavalry is, is now made up of, of armored battalions anchored by tanks. The Russian T-14 Armada is arguably the most powerful tank in the world. It's armed with 125-millimeter cannon that can fire armor-piercing or high-explosive shells or even anti-tank guided missiles at the, the rate of one for every eight to ten seconds. It also is armed with a coaxial 30-millimeter autocannon, two remotely operated machine guns, explosive reactive armor, and an active electronically scanned uh, array radar like those on a fighter jet that can track multiple targets and, and kill them simultaneously. Its active protective systems utilize UV detectors, radar, computer processing, fire control technology, and fragmentary interceptors to locate, target, and destroy enemy rocket-propelled grenades and anti-tank missiles and even depleted uranium projectiles in milliseconds. It's powered by a 1500 horsepower turbo-piston diesel engine enabling the 48-ton vehicle to travel at speeds of 80 kilometers an hour forwards and backwards. Its range is about 500 kilometers. Now there's no way that Napoleon would have made it anywhere close to Moscow if 200 years ago the Russians had had even one T-14 tank. Now just imagine for, for a second if you had one of those tanks, if you owned a T-14 tank. If you were to, to take it to the gas pump, it would cost you around $2,000 to fill up. I'm not going to complain so much about my $100. But in that tank, you, you really wouldn't want to run out of gas. Now, sure that the vehicle's batteries would keep things running for some time if you were to run out of gas, but all of that weaponry needs power to run. All of those defensive systems need power. If you run out of gas in a T-14, you are helpless. Even Napoleon and a few soldiers could defeat you. Because even though modern tank crews can stay inside that tank for, for several days, you're going to run out of food and water. You're going to have to come out sometime. And here we are, back to our original thought. An army marches on its stomach. But this points to something far deeper. An army marches on its stomach. 
but the Christian army stands on its knees. The Christian army stands on its knees. Prayer is far more indispensable for the Christian soldier than even food. We've been talking about the armor of God from Ephesians chapter 6 for the last several weeks. And though while not technically part of the armor, prayer is an essential aspect, an essential element in our conflict. Like Napoleon's Grand Armée trapped without supplies, like a tank crew trapped in a powerless tank, without prayer, we're a sitting duck. Prayer is the means of utilizing the army, the armor of God. We were saying earlier in Stand Up for Jesus, put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer, where duty calls or danger be never wanting there. So the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, gospel shoes, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, are all actuated by prayer. It is through prayer that you are strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of His might. It is in prayer that you put on the whole armor of God. In verses 18 to 20, Paul tells us six things about prayer. Six things, and we'll see that, that just in verse 18 alone, he uses the word all four times. Apostle Paul is highlighting how important prayer should be, how comprehensive, how integral to every part of our lives. The Christian army stands on its knees. First of all, Paul tells us that we are to pray at all times. He says, be praying at all times. Your entire life should be one prayer to God, living in constant communion with the Almighty. Specifically here, you, you need to pray so that you will stand. Like I said earlier, the Christian army stands on its knees. We are in a warfare against Satan and the hordes of hell. And the only way that we will stand in that fight is by kneeling in prayer. If I were to ask you how much you pray, what, what would you say? I'm sure very few of us would say always. But that's how often you are called to pray. Always, at all times. <coughs> you can see this repeatedly in the scripture. Besides Ephesians 6.18, we also have Colossians 4.2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Or 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Or, or Philippians 4.6, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we are called to pray a lot. You get the picture, but, but what does it mean though to pray at all times? pray at all times. When I was in Egypt several years ago, I noticed that a number of the men had, had marks on their foreheads. And by the time I, I saw my, my third or fourth men that had these marks on their foreheads, I was wondering, what, like, what's going on here? 
but I began to realize that they were actually calluses. These men had calluses on their foreheads. So what, what do you think a Muslim, a Muslim man would have calluses on his foreheads from? From bowing to, on their prayer carpet five times a day in prayers to Allah. And I suppose that in that culture that those calluses on their forehead would have been worn proudly like a, a mark of devotion. But if Muslims can pray five times a day to a false god, shouldn't we pray more to the one true God? It was said of James, the brother of Jesus, that his knees were so calloused from prayer that, he, that they were hard like the knees of a camel. Prayers were hard like the knees of a camel. Now, man, I'm not going to ask you to, to pull up your pant legs and to show us your knees. Thankfully. But how much time do you spend on your knees praying to the Lord? <coughs> would that God would make us more, even a little bit more like James? But that's not what the Apostle Paul means here either. The word that is translated times here means occasions. It means that, that whatever is going on in your life, pray. Are you worried? Pray. Are you at peace? Pray. Are you being tempted? Pray. Are you experiencing victory? Pray. Are you grieving? Pray. Are you celebrating? Pray. Are you sick? Pray. Are you healthy? Pray. Are you sad? Pray. Are you happy? Pray. In all seasons and all circumstances, Paul is saying, pray. Pray. Let's think about this from a moment, for a moment from another angle. If you have a problem in your life, what's your default? When, when a problem arises, what, what, what is your, your generally your first reaction to that problem? Do you try to figure it out and, and work it all out yourself? Do you ignore the problem and, and hope that it goes away? you stew about lying awake at night thinking about it all the time? Well, those are all wrong responses. Those are all wrong responses to problems and circumstances of life. Well, some of us here, when we have a problem, one of the first things we're going to do is, is to talk to somebody about it. Well, that's better. Yeah, that, that's a better response depending on who it is that, that you talk to, whether it's a, your husband or wife or a godly friend or a pastor or a parent, those are all good choices. But even talking to another person about your problems shouldn't be your first response. You should talk to someone when you're facing problems. But the one that you should talk to first is the one who can actually do something about it. The one who's best equipped to help you in the midst of your problems or whatever it is. Talk to God. Talk to God. He, he should be your first port of call, not your last resort. You know, I think really that uh, the failure here in this, in this sense to, to pray is really a failure to understand the, the one to whom we are praying. It's a failure to understand that, that God is sovereign. That he is in control of all things. That he is bringing everything to its 
ultimate end. It's a failure to understand that he is working all circumstances for his glory and for your good. And we're not being fatalistic about it here because he has decreed that he would work in response to prayer. Right? He, has, he has decreed that, that, that this is a mystery, but that the sovereign God has decreed that his people would come to him in prayer, that he would respond to those prayers, and that, that he would work. We're going to see this a lot more when we, when we get to, to the Sermon on the Mount starting in October, but, but, but there's also a sense in which when we pray, we're, we're, it's not exactly, it's, well, it's not maneuvering God, it's maneuvering ourselves. There's a big part of prayer that, that when we go to God in prayer, that, that what we're doing is we're reorienting our thinking. We're reorienting our hearts. And going to Him, our Heavenly Father. So if, if we're told to, to pray at all times, what does this have to do with spiritual warfare? Well, quite often, spiritual warfare isn't in the big things of life. It's in the, the mundane day-to-day -day decisions and you are, you are facing it at all times. You are engaged in spiritual warfare and the decision of whether you're going to obey God and to go after God and worship God or the decision to, to make a fleshly decision and to, to follow after the world and the devil. That's spiritual warfare. And you are engaged in, in spiritual warfare in, in virtually every decision that you make through the day. And so it's vital that you pray at all times, that, that, you, will, that you will begin to, that your, your mind to think will, will be reoriented to, to understand that, that you are living in the presence of God. And that He is there. And that He will help you in your time of need. So are you praying to stand in the Lord's strength are you praying that He will enable you to stand, to, to take up the armor that he, that he has given you for the fight in every circumstance and situation of life? Pray at all times. The second thing that Paul tells us about prayer is that we should be praying at all times in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Well, it doesn't mean, as is taught in some charismatic churches, that, that, that praying in the Spirit is, is the same thing as praying in tongues. Okay, that the, there's an appeal um, in some circles to 1 Corinthians 14, verses 14 and 15, about praying in the Spirit. But you can see, I won't go into detail about it now, but you can see from that context that, that, that the Apostle Paul there is contrasting praying with his mind with praying with the Spirit. So it is his mind and his spirit. He's not speaking directly of the Holy Spirit there. And also in second, in, uh, rather in Ephesians 6.18, though he is referring here to the Holy Spirit, also here praying in the Spirit does not mean praying in tongues. Since Paul is, 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 is instructing us to pray all kinds of prayers, all kinds of prayers and supplications, for the saints. Now, we can't obey this if we don't know what we're praying. So no, praying in the Spirit does not mean praying in tongues. Praying with, 
praying in the Holy Spirit means to pray in the one in, with whom you have been filled. We are, as Christians, filled with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit works in your heart to, to give you a new heart, to take away that stony heart of rebellion that was lived in opposition to God and gives you a new heart of worship to God, that the, the trajectory of your life has changed, the orientation of your life has changed from one who is a rebel against God to becoming a worshiper of God. And this is the first part of what it means to, to pray in the Spirit. If you remember from Ephesians uh, 5.18-6.9, the Apostle Paul described what the filling of the Spirit looked like as, as, as the Holy Spirit enables us to work out our relationships in the church, in our home, in the workplace. Well, now we can see from Ephesians 6.18 that through the Holy Spirit, our relationship with God is worked out as well. That, that our, our prayer is inspired and directed by the Holy Spirit. This is also what it means to pray in the Spirit. Commentator Francis Folks writes, The Spirit is the atmosphere of Christians' lives, and as they live in the Spirit, grace will be given to watch and power to continue in prayer. And so as those who are filled with the Spirit, we pray in the Spirit. Now Paul already demonstrated in Ephesians 2.18 that it is by the Spirit that we have access in Christ to the Father. It is by the Spirit in, that in Christ we have access to the Father. And in Ephesians 2.22 that, that is in the Spirit that we are, that we are being built into a dwelling place for God. So although it is, is entirely appropriate to, to pray to each member of the Trinity, you can pray to the Father, you can pray to the Son, you can pray to the Holy Spirit, but the general pattern of prayer is to pray to the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. I did a sermon series on that about a year ago to the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is exactly the pattern of prayer that, that Jesus gave to us in what is known as the Lord's Prayer. And he says, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven. So we pray to God as our Father through the blood of Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also helps us to pray. Another part of what it means to pray in the Spirit. In Romans 8, 26 and 27, we, we see what form this help takes. The Spirit intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray. That the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. The Holy Spirit is praying for you at this very moment. And when you go to pray, the Holy Spirit is praying for you and with you. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God, but He also helps us to pray when we do know what to pray, because He is the one who is guiding your prayers. And so prayer in the Spirit then is, is also linked with the sword of the Spirit. 
prayer of the Spirit is linked with the sword of the Spirit, since the Holy Spirit is the one who carried men along so that they would write down every single word of Scripture as God ordained, 2 Peter 1, 21, and, and the Holy Spirit also helps us to, to apply and to in, interpret Scripture. Praying the Word of God is an important part of praying in the Holy Spirit. John Piper says that the praying in a Bible-saturated way is a key to praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, you can actually pray the words of Scripture. You can open up your Bible and, and read the Scripture as a prayer. But, but you can also sit down to pray with a Bible in front of you, and, and as, the, as the, the phrases and the, and the words of the Scriptures um, are, are there in your Bible, it guides and directs your prayer so that, that you're, you're praying that the principles, maybe not specifically those very words, but those principles that are laid down for you in Scripture, are, are you're praying them back to God. You're praying God's Word back to God. In our men's uh, prayer meeting this morning, Tom referred to, or cited a, um, a comment that was made about Martin Luther, that, that his prayers were, were saturated with Scripture. That, that Martin Luther was, was constantly praying Scripture. And he said that, that when I pray scripture, I know that I'm praying God's will because, because again, I'm praying the word of God back to God. I'm going to talk again a lot more about this when I, when I, when I preach through the, the Lord's Prayer, but it's really more accurately called, the, should be actually called the, the model prayer. Because when Jesus introduced that prayer, he, he didn't say pray this, but he said pray like this. Pray like this. He was laying down for us a pattern of prayer. So that the Holy Spirit inspired those words of that prayer. And then as we pray according to the, the teaching of this prayer, the Holy Spirit inspires our prayer. We're going to learn a lot more about that come October, Lord willing. Do you pray in the Spirit? Do you pray in the Spirit? Well, it's pretty easy to tell if you're not praying in the Spirit. If your prayers are, are cold and lifeless, you're not praying in the Spirit. If your prayer is thoughtless and repetitive, you're not praying in the Spirit. If your prayer is absent, you're certainly not praying in the Spirit. Praying without the Spirit it is like sitting helpless in a powerless T-14 tank. You have all of the equipment. But in order to use that equipment, you need power. And into taking up the armor of God, we need power. We need the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer. In order to stand in the armor of God, you need the Spirit's help and guidance. So pray in the Spirit. Now these, these last ones are going to be a, a little bit briefer. Paul next says that, that we are to pray with all kinds of prayer. All kinds of prayer. He says pray with all prayer and supplication. Now supplication is, is sometimes translated petition. It's, it's specifically a request that is made in response to a lack. 
Okay? It's, a, it's a request that is made in response to a lack. It's an entreaty. And so using this, this repetition here of these, these two words for prayer, which, which are really roughly synonymous, he, Paul is reinforcing the importance of prayer. The importance of prayer here in our warfare. And he's showing that there is more than one kind of prayer. In fact, there's all different kinds of prayer. You, you may have heard of the acronym ACTS. Hands up if, you, if you've heard of the acronym ACTS. And I don't mean the, the theological seminary. Okay, ACTS is, it's really, it's an acronym for, for four different kinds of prayer. Adoration. So it's beginning prayer by, by worshiping God, by, by calling on, 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 by proclaiming His glory. Confession. Talking to Him about your sin and, and asking His forgiveness for your sin. Thanksgiving. Giving thanks for all that He has done for you. Giving thanks in, for the gospel. Giving thanks for answered prayer. Giving, giving thanks for, for His material blessings, for His spiritual blessings. And then finally, supplication. And this is where you are now making your request. So, so we don't get to, to asking God for what we need until we've, we've, we've already done these, these other three forms of prayer. Now there's not necessarily anything wrong with, with diving straight into supplication. Okay, there's, there's times that, that, especially in emergency, there's times that, that you really just, you need to dive right into prayer. Lord, help. And we'll see this as well in, in the, the model prayer, that, that all of these elements, elements, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, that, that all of these are there in the Lord's Prayer, or the model prayer, as well. So there, there's those types of prayer. There's, there's also private prayer. The, the, prayer that, <coughs> the prayers that you pray uh, in the morning, or at other times of the day, and before you go to bed at night. There's family prayer, when you come together as a family to, 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 uh, to pray together for, for meals, and, and to, to, to pray together for for your family and for friends and, and loved ones and, and to other need for other needs. There's this corporate prayer when we come together with our church family to pray. And we have many opportunities to do that. And I would encourage you to, to find one of the times when we, we pray together, whether it's it's Sunday mornings before the service or Thursday afternoons or Wednesday evening in the Bible study or the, the ladies and men's study or the men's prayer breakfast, that you would avail yourself of those opportunities to come together to pray. There are very sweet times of fellowship with the Lord and with each other. It's corporate prayer. And there's the other one that I mentioned earlier, emergency prayer. In, in that moment when, when there's a crisis or a temptation, and you, you just call out to God, Lord, please help me. If you're going to pray in an emergency, in that moment of temptation or that crisis, you need to cultivate a lifestyle of prayer at the other times. Because otherwise what's going to happen is, is your default is going to be to go to worldly means instead of going to God in prayer. So I wonder, are all of these kinds of prayer evident in your life? Or is your prayer life lopsided? Is your prayer life lopsided? Think about what the Apostle Paul here says to, to pray with all kinds of prayers. Next he says, fourth is to pray with all vigilance. To pray with all vigilance. 
He says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. In other words, in order to pray at all times in the Spirit, with all kinds of prayer, keep alert and persevere. Be vigilant. Be vigilant. Now, you've heard of a prayer vigil. Well, vigil is, that word vigil comes from the Latin word, which means wakefulness. That's what a prayer vigil is, when, when people stay awake to prayer. So stay, to pray, stay awake in prayer. Now, when I, when I say, when Paul says to stay awake in prayer, it, it doesn't mean that it's, it's not a good idea just, just to, to have a, a quick prayer and bread and bed as you're drifting off to sleep. Yeah, that's not what Paul means here, even though, even though that's not a good idea. It's not the best way to pray. It means that if you are not alert, then you are not going to see the danger. You're not going to see the danger, and you're not going to see the need for prayer, and so you will not stand in battle. Harold Horner explains that, that prayer causes alertness, and alertness keeps believers in prayer. I'll say that again. Prayer causes alertness, and alertness keeps believers in prayer. It's, it's like a cycle. They feed back on each other. And so vigilance in prayer, then, involves prayer for protection from temptation. And again, we see this in the model prayer from Matthew 6.13, where Jesus taught us to pray and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Or also, as he, as he warned Peter in, in Mark 13.38, he said, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Watch and pray, because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think that really describes all of us to some extent, doesn't it? That we, we all want to, to honor God. We all want to do what God wants us to do to, to a large extent. But, but what we find is that, that in those moments, we find that our, our flesh is weak. We find ourselves succumbing and, and doing the things that we hate. Right? Does that describe you as well? You need to pray that you enter not into temptation. You shouldn't go out your door. You shouldn't really come away from your, from your bedroom without praying, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Again, you know the ways that, that the enemy often tempts you. Ask him, first thing in the morning, before you go out of your bedroom, say, Lord, please protect me today from X temptation. Ask Him to, to help you. Ask Him to deliver you from evil or from the evil one. It also means, uh, means prayer. Vigilance also means preparate, prayer and preparation for the last day. In, in Mark 13, 33, in the King James, it reads, Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye not, know not when the time is. Right? He's saying, Take heed, watch and pray, because you don't know when the time is coming. You don't know when the Lord is going to return. So be vigilant. Watch and pray. And also Luke 21, 36. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things, the things that are going to take place at the end times, and to stand before the Son of Man. Vigilance in prayer also means avoiding the spiritual numbness of the world. Most of the people that, that you see, that you encounter through the day, are spiritual zombies. They're spiritual zombies. They walk through life dead to the spiritual realities around them. 
zombified. Don't let your brains get sucked into their spiritual apathy. As P.T. O'Brien says, as children of light, being awake and renouncing the spiritual sleep of the darkness of this age. The spiritual sleep of the darkness of this age. And the Apostle Paul says that, that the ignorance is, is actually a willful ignorance. That, that people have suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. That they are denying who God is, even though they know who God is, from creation. And so they're, they're trying everything they can to, to ignore the truth. But, but there are people that you're going to encounter that are beginning to be awakened to spiritual realities. You need to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies in you. Vigilance in prayer also involves perseverance in prayer. Don't give up. That's what Paul means in Romans 12, 12. He says, be constant in prayer. Jesus told the parable of the persistent widow in Luke 18 to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Do you ever lose heart in prayer? So I was talking to a gentleman on Friday who, um, who's been praying for his family members for a long time and, and nothing seems to be happening. And he's tempted to, to give up and, and not to keep praying. Is that ever you? Have you ever have you prayed for something faithfully for so long and you just think God is never going to answer that prayer? Is that you? Does that ever describe you? Keep praying. Don't give up. Persevere in prayer. Likewise, have you been praying for a long time that, that the Lord would help you to overcome a particular sin? Don't give up. Persevere in prayer. Keep on praying. 1 John 1 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is not only faithful to forgive you, he's also faithful to purify you from your sin. Don't give up. Remember that, that we are in a spiritual battle. We are in a spiritual battle, and, and you may lose. Occasionally, you may lose a battle. The enemy may, may overcome you in, in, a, in a particular area for a time. You may lose a battle, but remember that Jesus has already won the war through his death on the cross for your sins. Final victory has already been accomplished by Jesus. Persevere in prayer. Don't give up in prayer. Be vigilant in prayer. Fifth, pray for all the saints. The fifth thing that, that Paul tells us that we are, is to pray for all the saints. He says, pray making supplication for all the saints. And again, it's, it's the same word that, that he just used. Again, prayer is a, is a request made in response to a lack. So pray for all the saints. Now this obviously can't mean that we need to pray for, for every single saint on the planet. If you had a thousand lifetimes, you couldn't pray for every single saint on the planet. That the principle here is extending your prayer beyond yourself and beyond your needs to the needs of those around you and to the needs of those who are, are more remote or more distant from you. You pray for your perceived needs, but do you perceive the needs of others? You pray for your perceived needs, but do you perceive the needs of others? Do you look beyond yourself to the needs of those who are around you? 
Ephesians 1.15, Paul had commended the Ephesians for their love for all the saints. And then in 3.18 and 19, he prayed that they would comprehend the love of Christ with all the saints. And so, brothers and sisters, we are part of, of one Christian community. And if you love someone, you will pray for them. If you love someone, you will pray for them. And in fact, prayerlessness for others is really a spiritual barometer. It reveals a lack of love. When you don't pray, it reveals a lack of love. It reveals a lack of love for God, and it reveals a lack of love for those around you. But can you say with the Apostle Paul from 2 Corinthians 5.14 that the love of God controls us? Are you controlled by the love of God? Then you will pray. Husbands and wives, remember how when you were dating, you would, you would spend hours and hours talking together. How, how you, you would talk so long on the phone that you had to pry the phone away from your, your ear at the end of the phone call. Do you remember those days? If you love someone, you want to talk to them. And so, so prayer is, is an opportunity that we have to talk to someone we love about the people that we love. If God is on your mind, you want to talk to Him, and others are on your mind, so you want to talk to Him about them. So prayerlessness is a love problem. You need to pray that, that God will give you love for Him and love for others that causes you to pray. The kind of love that makes you want to pray to Him for them. The kind of love that is concerned for those around you and wants to lift them up in prayer. Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, as those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. So here we're thinking not just about, about the people in, in our own church family, but, but the body of Christ around the world, about our brothers and sisters from every tribe and tongue and nation. That's why we, we pray for them week by week here in our, in our service together. Thinking about the other churches here in the city where the, the gospel is proclaimed, we, we pray for them that the Lord would bless these other churches as well, not just this local church. So you pray for all the saints, not just yourself, not just your family, but your church family. You know, I've heard it said that it is hard to pray for someone you don't like. I'd say it's hard not to like someone that you pray for. It's hard not to like someone that you pray for. So if there's somebody that you're offended with, somebody who, who gets your goat, somebody that, that you just naturally don't like, you need to pray for them. Pray that God would bless them. And as you invest yourself in love towards that other person, what do you think is going to happen? You'll begin to grow. You'll begin to grow in love for that other person. So pray for all the saints. And finally, Paul says... Pray for me. Pray for me. At, at the end of, of Paul's letters, he, he often asks for prayer for himself and for his co-workers. And he told them earlier in the letter that he prayed for them. Ephesians 1.16, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And now he's asking them to pray for him. Right? He's been praying for them, and now he wants them to pray for him. And so Paul serves as, a, as an example so though he was the apostle of the Gentiles, he was demonstrating that he was reliant 
on prayer. And so if the Apostle Paul needs prayer, then all of us need prayer. All of us need prayer. The Apostle Paul was, was on the front lines of the battle, even though he was there in prison. He was in Rome. Now, this is one of the prison epistles. The Apostle Paul was in, was in Rome awaiting trial, and, and it's, it's arguably it's at this point, it was, it was at this imprisonment that the Apostle Paul went before Caesar, Nero, one of the most wicked despots who ever ruled anywhere on the planet. Now, if you were in, in, if you were in prison, and you're about to get, get dragged before Nero. Remember, this is Nero is, is, is one whose, whose garden parties were, were lit by human torches. If you were about to go before Nero, what would be at the top of your prayer list? I think most of us would pray, Lord, please get me out of this. Please help me to be released. Help, help Nero to have favor on me. But Paul doesn't pray that. He doesn't ask for prayer for that. Now, it, Paul, it, it, most likely it was a, it was a, a subsequent imprisonment that, that where Paul was, was martyred, that very likely he, he was actually released after this imprisonment. But he prays for two things here. He, he prays for words and for boldness. For words and for boldness. He, he prays that, the, that he would be given the right word at the right time. He prays that, that as his mouth opens, that, that he would be given utterance, that he would be given words to say. Do you pray for that? When, when, you're, when you're in a conversation with somebody, and I'm thinking of an incident earlier this week where I didn't pray that and it didn't go well. When, when you're in one of those, those moments and when, there's, there's, when you have an opportunity to say something, do you pray, Lord, give me the words to say? Help me to, help me to respond with, with the word of God in a loving and gentle way. Give me utterance. Apostle Paul prays for words. He also prays for boldness. Now, now you can understand that the, the temptation to, to water down the words of the gospel when he's standing before Nero. But he says that, that he is an ambassador in chains. He's an ambassador. He is a representative of, of someone far, far greater, far more powerful than Nero. He's a representative of the Most High God. And the idea of, of an ambassador being, being in chains is, is really kind of an oxymoron. And it's, it, it doesn't really fit. It doesn't go together. But, but what Paul is saying here is, is, I'm a representative of God, and even though I'm here in chains. And, and he said that, um, in 2 Timothy 2.9, he said that because of the gospel, he was suffering and bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. Brothers and sisters, the word of God is never bound. God has determined that his word would go out and that it would accomplish that for which he sent it. The word of God is never bound. And so even though the apostle Paul was in chains, the word of God was not in chains to ask for boldness, to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel. Now, earlier in Ephesians 3, 3 to 6, the Apostle Paul described the mystery of the gospel as the union of Jew and Gentile in one body through Christ. 
But I believe here it's, it's, it's broader. As Raymond Brown says, the mystery is the gospel. The mystery in itself signifies the hidden nature of the divine plan. The gospel is the external manifestation of that plan to the people affected by it. That's Raymond Brown. So the, the mystery is the gospel. The mystery is the gospel. But now, think about this, this command here, really, that Paul requests here, that, that Paul says that, that the Ephesians would pray for him. Well, how do we obey that? The Apostle Paul is, is in glory. He doesn't need our, our prayers anymore. So how do we pray? Well, one way you can do that is by praying for me. Now, thankfully, I'm not in chains. But you are called to pray for me that, that I would stand firm in the gospel. That the gospel would, would remain central to my ministry, that God would give me utterance, that He would give me the words to say, that He would give me boldness to proclaim the gospel. You, you need to pray that for me. But you also need to pray that for you. Because we are all ambassadors for Christ. We're all making the, the appeal from God to be reconciled with God for our sake. God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, in Christ, we could be the righteousness of God. That is the, the message of, of the gospel. And we are all ambassadors. We are all messengers. We are all representatives with that same message. So if you want to stand, you, you need to pray as well for yourself for yourself in that regard. Now, although our foes have been defeated by Christ, we have a responsibility, we have an ongoing responsibility to stand firm in the victory that has been achieved for us in Christ. You have a responsibility to pray, a responsibility to, to prayerfully put on all of the, the armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, gospel shoes, the, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You have a responsibility to prayerfully put on all of that armor. Harold Homer says that a, a nuclear war cannot be won with rifles. We cannot go forward to fight in our own strength, or we will fail. As we draw this to a close, hear the words of William Girdle from his, his book, The Christian in Complete Armor. He says, when God intends mercy for his people, he stirs up the spirit of prayer in them. Fervency unites the soul and directs the thoughts to the work at hand. It will not allow diversions and denies all foreign thoughts seeking to intrude. Pray fervently, or you do nothing. Cold praying is no more prayer than a painting of fire is fire. How can prayers that do not even warm your own heart move God's? A fervent prayer will never find a cold reception with God. Elijah's prayer was fire called down from heaven because it carried fire up to heaven. There are a few topics that can make Christians feel more guilty than prayer. I don't know anyone who feels like they pray enough. And the reality is that, that none of us really pray enough. 
we think about these, these commands that, that we're called to do here in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20, that none of us prays perfectly in that regard. And so are you praying? Are you praying to the one who filled up what is lacking in your prayer life through the perfect prayer life of Christ? The one who intimately knew his dependence on the Father, on the Spirit for everything, and who lived in the face of his Father and knew it. The one who always prayed in every circumstance at all times. The one who always prayed in the Spirit. The one who prayed all kinds of prayers. The one who prayed for all the saints. The, the one who, who prayed for us. You are here as a Christian this morning. The perfect prayer life of Christ is credited to your account. And so because of Christ, because of His perfect righteousness granted to you, you can pray with boldness as a son, as a daughter, through Christ's perfect obedience. You can't make God love you more through your prayers. He already loves you with the same love that He has for His Son. You can't make God love you through your prayers, but your prayers will make you love God more. Your prayer, prayers will make you love the saints more. So would you pray with me that God will make us a praying people would you pray for your own prayer life? Would you pray for the prayer life of this church that, that the Spirit would move in our hearts so that, that we just eagerly run to Him in prayer?